As the founder and chief inspiration officer of Highlander Press, Deborah Kivin loves helping changemakers step into and share their stories of healing and truth. She's guided hundreds of authors to craft and publish impactful books of which they are proud. Debbie holds a master's degree in publishing from Western Colorado University and graduated from Stanford University's novel writing program. She struck the Camino de Santiago, an ancient pilgrimage ending in Santiago, Spain. She lives in Maryland with the love of her life, Rob, their sons, and their puppy, Fergus. That is when they're not off discovering the world. Hello, everybody. I'm so psyched to have here with me today, Deborah, for a new episode of the Healer Hub podcast. Hi, Debra. How are you? It's so nice to be here, Anka. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> I'm really psyched to actually delve in the story of how you are using words and how you are helping other people use words for healing. But first, let's start with your background story. Oh, my background story. So uh, the most indirect route to where I am today started with me um I was emancipated at age 16, which meant I was financially and physically responsible for myself. So I went right to work and saved money to go to college, which I did when I was 24. Um, so I worked full-time, went to school full-time. And back in the day, I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a special ed teacher. But at the time, there were no jobs for teachers in the United States. So I fell into accounting and became a CPA of all things. So I worked with, <laughs> I know, I went from company to company and audited them. And I ended up specializing like nonprofit and um, city government, um, which were not too dissimilar. Um, and I, I worked that into a career in the private sector. I ended up working for a Fortune 500 company in the United States. Um, as a senior level executive responsible for all of the change management in the company. So I, I, along the way, I got some certifications and yada, yada, yada. But the one thing that was always consistent, no matter where I was, is that people would ask me to make their words sound better. Can you help me redo my presentation? Will you edit my email? Will you fill in the blank? Do we do a newsletter for the company? So I was always working with words, but I hadn't grown my mindset yet to realize that I can make a living playing with books, which was really truthfully one of my passions. And so I started, um, my son was diagnosed with autism in 2010, and I took a leave of absence to really focus in on learning a new a new way to be, a new language, a new way to support him in a way that helped him truthfully understand how absolutely amazing a person he was without but getting him the support that he, he needed at the time. And at the end of those three months, I was like, I literally cannot make myself go back to work. I'd been working 70 hours a week. I'd been, I was basically killing myself um, health-wise without, without knowing that that's what I was doing. So that break was actually the beginning of where I am today. I set up a program for my son. We stayed at home and people were coming and saying, hey, can you, authors were coming and saying, hey, can you help? Can you build me a website? Can you do some marketing copy for me? Would you write my newsletter? Would you blog for me? I started saying yes. And it was like, wait a minute, I can actually make a living doing this. And it got to a point where I had to decide, do I want to get really great at the technical stuff or do I really want to lean into the words and helping people tell their story? And during that time, I had um, a situation in my life that presented itself that allowed me to go into art therapy. And it was the first time that I really looked at my life story, the things that were holding me back, the things that had happened for me, but I didn't know it yet, and really worked my way through it 
with using poetry and writing and journaling and painting and um, play. And, uh, and there we have it. And, and I decided, you know, I, I have the, the financial background. I have the process background. I know how to do things differently. I'm a writer myself. How can I create an environment and a community for other authors to feel safe to tell their stories? And here we are today. <laughs> That's such a beautiful story. And that was, I couldn't help but laugh with, you started with the idea that you were going to become a teacher and then you became a, an accountant. But it's so beautiful how it actually all played out very beautifully in where you are today and the life that you created for yourself today. Yeah, there's like no accidents, right? Every little skill that I learned along the way prepared me to be the, the publisher and author and editor that I am today. You know, it all played in. The other beautiful thing about that is I learned skills in my, in my life that allowed me to support my son. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I kept hearing time and again with him was that he was broken. He'll never do this. He's never going to be X, Y, or Z. And I couldn't reconcile what the medical field was saying with the person that I was raising. And so I scrapped it and I looked at what did he need? How could I get skills and training to support him, but then also find people who could come to us and support him in a way that he never felt that he was less than. And I'm so proud of him. I'm proud of both my children, but he overcame a lot. And he graduated from college last year with two degrees. And right now he's actually working with children on the autism spectrum because he speaks their language and he himself is a great example of what's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so powerful and I'm I'm so happy and congratulations for the graduation yeah. and also for working with children with autism or on the autistic spectrum and supporting them. That's such a powerful way of using your original story. Yes. He's a great kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned at one point that that you didn't have yet the growth mindset to understand that you could use your gifts and your talents and your skills. Um, I'm wondering how did you get there? Was it something specific, like tangibly that you could share that could be helpful for other people to implement in their lives? It's a kind of a woo-woo story. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a very patriarchal family. Uh, I was the first person in my family to go to college. And I was the first girl to go on to even more advanced degrees. So it was a challenge. I was, I didn't fit the story of the family, right? I didn't fit that mold. I always knew that there was something within me, but I didn't have the language for it yet. And so really it wasn't until I'd written my first novel and I was invited to go to um, Italy to an international conference to read from my novel, which even as I say those words, I still like have a hard time wrapping my head around that. But I did and I I went and I was with um, a couple of women that I know, one who's a middle grade author and one who is a poet. And the poet said, hey, I've got these little angel cards and why don't we just have fun and every day we'll just pull an angel card. And I'm like, what are angel cards like i'd never even heard of them they were just these little cards that had little messages that were from your you know allegedly from your angels so i'm like sure i'm in let's do it every day so we were gone for 10 days nine days and this is a a deck of like 54 cards so it's shuffled moved around nine days in a row i pulled the same card which was get out of your own way And I knew I was in my own way, but I didn't know how. So I fly back to the United States. I get settled back in at home and I power up the computer and I turn on Facebook and a colleague of my former colleague of mine posted a video 
from a, a personal development guru. And the message on the video was, are you getting in your own way? <laughs> like, I literally was like, I hear you. I got it. <laughs> and so I went to a mindset retreat. And that mindset retreat really was like, it was like walking through the door to, to Wonderland. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm surrounded by all of these women who are doing incredible work in the world. How do I learn what I don't know? How can I change my mindset to, I was always, I think I always had a growth mindset, but I didn't have the language, right? I was always like, how can I do better? What can I learn? But then I got the language mm -hmm. and I got the examples and there was no going back, you know, taking the time to really dig in and heal those parts of me that needed to be healed and grow myself was the greatest gift I ever gave myself. Yeah. I love how there was an intervention on the part of the universe. <laughs> it was very loud and not, not quite was, subtle. <laughs> exactly. It's like, I can't ignore this. <laughs> and it was perfect. It's exactly what I needed. And I struggled. Um, I struggled first of all, to feel worthy. I struggled really to heal that inner child where I'd had some trauma as a kid. You know, most kids aren't emotionally and financially responsible for themselves at 16 under normal circumstances. And uh, really recognizing that the things that made me not fit in my family were actually my superpowers. Mm. I still love my family. I'm still very connected with my family but I don't apologize or hide what I'm really great at. Mm. Yeah, that's so powerful. I love the energy behind those words. And I think that that's something that I hope a lot of women are going to tune in. Sometimes we experience a lot of shame and guilt around becoming greater than what was expected or what had been laid out for us. And it's interesting because I think that it's just like a subtle sometimes very um very much from the unconscious space that our caregivers transmit energetically and it's it's beautiful because you mentioned this also that you are still very much connected with your family yet you don't apologize for becoming who you are today and i think it's the same tension that we have between um or maybe the, the tension that I recognize in, in my own story between our parents and caregiver really wanting for us to be successful and to live that beautiful life. But in a certain way, a, a sort of ancestral fear of um, you shouldn't, you shouldn't become louder, more visible, because that's going to be very dangerous. And mostly if you are a woman, it's going to be <laughs> infinitely well, and more frankly, dangerous. I mean, in many cases, that's a truth, right? I mean, if you think about what's happening in the world today, but also think about where our parents and grandparents, what they lived through, you know, they lived through World War II and they came from you know, a, a global depression and there was a lot of fear. And I think you're absolutely right that a lot of that got transmitted generationally, not intentionally and not from a, a place of, um, it was from a place of love, like, be great, but don't be too great. Be invisible, but don't be too visible because it wasn't safe. Yeah. You know? And so reconciling that and saying, you know, I understand why it happened and I understand how it came, but does this message or this subconscious belief serve me? Mm. And if it doesn't serve me, how can I unravel it and what can I replace it with? Yeah, yeah. And what you also mentioned about not knowing what you do not know and finding ways, finding context, is fi finding people also who support you in gaining that awareness. Because sometimes the blind spots that we have, they're actually very obvious and very much in front of our eyes. But we need just a little bit of support to unveil that and to see it. Sometimes it's very plain, it's very simple what you what you were mentioning. Uh, we are in our own way um, 
sometimes just because we we have no clue how to untangle these imaginary stories that we that we created around us it's absolutely true and i think you bring up a, a, a an incredible point in that we don't know what we don't know mm-hmm. we can't give ourselves a good haircut and we we can't often see the the things that are tripping us up but other people can sometimes see them more clearly and if you surround yourself with people who are loving and supportive and can call you on it but in a way that is like hey did you notice i'll give you an example when i first started my business um and i was going through this mentorship program uh, i was in a mastermind group with a, a an incredible woman i'm still in a mastermind group with her and and every time as a single mom i'm you know putting kids through college i'm 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 trying to relearn my my own story and and tap back into it and lead by example and and really do great work in the world but i would get scared and every time i got scared or the bank account got low i would say i i'm going to get a job i'm going to go get a job and i am forever grateful to jill for saying to me are you even aware that this is your pattern you get scared and you say i'm just going to go get a job she goes instead why don't you recognize that feeling and say what what do i need to put in place what do i need to be clear about so that the universe can send the things to me what do i need to take action on how do i need to create that belief within myself that yes it's hard i've been in hard places before and i've lived through them and me having a job doesn't serve anybody me being what i'm doing today is what the best service that i can possibly give mm. and and why would i want to give that up mm. yeah it there there are two things that came to my to my heart and my mind as you were talking about this i i think that sometimes we don't realize this tendency to go for safety which a job is not really safety it's just the, what has been inculcated in us as being safety and i think it's a the most stringent form of internalized patriarchy okay yes, because I... somebody else takes care of you <laughs> oh that is such a great way of framing that experience i love it yeah absolutely yeah and then this the second aspect is and i'm so grateful that you heard the call and you were able to overcome the little challenge the sometimes probably very big challenges so that you can be of service in the best way that you as this incarnation can be of service i think many of us don't realize that when whenever we reach out for safety we go a little bit further from what we are actually called to do and maybe had we just at least stayed in that in that space or taken a very tiny step in the direction that we feel within that we need to to go it would have been much more much more helpful but again a lot of compassion right because we all we are all doing our best and it's you did your best and it's beautiful that you are writing this very successful life story and successful for me is the fact that you are of service through your gifts and you are bringing that to the world thank you and, and i i agree with you that you know we all know what we we don't know what we don't know and if we just take that one step you don't have to see the whole staircase but if you take that first step and trust that the next step when it's time will reveal itself and the exact right um people will be in your way when it's time and when you've grown yourself to that place i love this the movie um indiana jones and the last crusade and my favorite part of that movie is the very end where indiana has to cross this great big chasm where there's no apparent uh way to get from where he is to this little doorway and he says he has to step out in faith and he just takes one step and we realize that it's an optical illusion that there's a path there's a plank and he takes some dirt and he throws it and it's like by just taking that first step and trusting and 
being in faith that the path will appear, that is the strongest, most courageous thing I think anyone can do. Yeah. It makes me think also of how excruciatingly difficult it is. <laughs> it totally is. There's a. I, I was thinking about this earlier, and Denzel Washington, who's a, an American film actor, said, and I believe it's him, and I could be mis mislabeling it. If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. And the edge that he's referring to is the edge between comfort and abject fear. Mm -hmm. And I've learned just through trial and error that the things that make me comfortable are not the things that help me grow. And the things that I have a sense that I'm supposed to do or the next step, but I'm afraid, it's like, that's the thing. That's where I'm supposed to be going in that direction. That's my growth opportunity. Mm. Yeah. And, and there's a key piece of that is learning to listen to what comes up inside. Not trusting everybody else is not taking a poll of my friends or my colleagues, but sit in silence, get centered, and ask the question, Where? what's my next step? What's my next best step? And then trusting that the answer that drops in is true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we don't realize sometimes that even the people who most love us will never be able to find our gifts and our time as precious as we would. And sometimes we can step up for a long time in the wrong direction because we listen to something else or to somebody else. And what I found for myself is that resistance always shows me <laughs> the way because the things that I resist most and the things that I am most afraid of mm -hmm. are the things that are actually calling me into the, di into the direction that um, my soul has chosen to, to expand. Absolutely. And what a gift to listen to it, right? I mean, it's magical. Yeah. I'm sometimes battling yeah. these demo demons. We're on the floor and, you know, like it's a proper wrestling match. <laughs> <laughs> I always say that I have a gremlin on my shoulder and sometimes I pick him up and put him inside one of those gerbil balls, you know, where you stick them inside, close them and kick him off in the corner and just say, I got this. I don't need you on my shoulder right now. <laughs> I let you out in a in a in a little bit, but just let me yeah. do my thing for now. Hush, hush. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I also stand in front of the mirror when I'm really afraid, and my ego is showing up, and like, and my ego's job is to keep me safe, right? It's like I can look at myself in the mirror and just say, "I appreciate that you're trying to keep me safe. I appreciate that you've gotten me to this point." But I know that this is the right thing. So trust me. And by looking at myself in the eyes and saying that, I can feel like the, the tension sort of drift away. It's like, okay, like we got this. Let's go do it. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. I love tangible, tangible practices. So I hope that people are listening to this and they will give it a try. Because until you try, you don't know if it's going to work for you or not. Thank you. Yeah, so I know that you walked uh, El Camino. <laughs> you went to Spain and Portugal or only the Spain part of the... I did uh, France and Spain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how was that it and what drew you to that experience? That's such a great question. I, um, I first learned, because in the United States, nobody really knew of the Camino. It wasn't a thing. You know, we hear about the Appalachian Trail and all of the Pacific Coast Trail. And I've always, I've been a hiker since I was a kid and I love being in nature. And I, when my former boss watched a movie called The Way, which a lot of Americans have learned about the Camino through this movie. And he watched it and he sent me a text and said, I just watched a movie that I think you were going to love. And I happened to be home and it was on Netflix and I watched the movie in 2013. I'm like, oh my gosh. This is incredible. And I felt this 
calling. I, I can't even explain. It was a yearning to to do this. And I was um I was not encouraged uh to do it, but it was something I just knew that I wanted to do. And I I would I made my kids watch the movie and they're like, I'm like, would you want to do this with me someday? Hard pass. Hard pass. And uh I had to grow. So 2017, it was June. I'll never forget it. I walked into the meeting at this mentorship program that I'm talking about. I was in Connecticut. And there was a table at the front of the room and I put my stuff down and I'm just standing there. I'm very introverted, believe it or not. And I just sort of was hovering. And this woman came up and she said, is this seat taken? She had the most beautiful Irish accent. Is this seat taken? I said, by you. And we just started chatting. And I, what do you do for a business? What do you do? And so I answered and then I said, you know, what do you do? And she goes, I take women walking on the Camino de Santiago. And I literally was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So I said, give me your website. I'm going to go check it out. So I went up on a break and I logged into my computer. I checked her out. I called both of my kids and I said, she's running a program. This was 2016 because it was 2017 that I was going. I said, I, she's running a program in May of 2017. I want to go. And they were like, please go and you won't bug us anymore, right? <laughs> so I talked with her and I, I literally booked that day. I booked six months out, maybe even nine months. And I said, um, I'm going to do this. And I decided to do it in sections. 2017, I did a section with her. I went for a month in 2018. And then we had co my, my father passed away. We had a lot of things popped up. But I knew I wanted to complete the Camino by the time I was 60, which was last year. Flash forward, I, long story, but I got remarried and uh, I said, I just need you to know that I have this goal and I'm doing this last section and I'm going to go in in the September, October of 2022, 2023. So I've got to finish by the time I'm 60. And he's like, well, I'll come with you. And so we walked that last section with my friend, Heather, and a couple of other incredible people. And my husband was there too. And I'm not a religious person, but I have a very strong spiritual side, and I cannot tell you why I was drawn to it, but I have to tell you that it's one of the most impactful things that I've ever done for myself. Because for the first time in my life, the only decision I had to make was what was I having for lunch. The first time I packed everything I might ever possibly need in my backpack, and it was too much. And I learned this saying that don't, you know, pack for what you need, but don't pack your fears. I totally packed my fears and my stories and all the weight of everything with my experience up to that point. The next time I went was a little bit better. I went for a longer period of time, walked a longer section. But this time, I had a little day pack. I was completely present. And I, you, you, until you've done it or had some sort of experience like this, the magic of the people who you meet along the way, the, the, the experiences that you have, the things that you see, they just completely shifted everything about my life. I came back realizing I was carrying all these heavy stories that didn't serve me and they were stopping me. They were part of what was getting in my way. And I'm like, okay, what do I want to keep to go forward? I, I literally visualized a backpack with all these big, heavy, heavy books, pulling a book out and saying, okay, what's the page that I want to keep and let's get rid of the book. Let's get rid of the heaviness. Let's keep the joy. Let's keep the lessons. Let's keep the happy memories and let's get rid of the rest. Absolutely transformative. Yeah, I love it. And you know what I most love is that 
it's of the ethereal. Like nobody can really speak about their experiences, like these metaphysical experiences, in a way that it would be equally exactly understood on the other side. And I think that that's what this mystical, mysterious experience makes it that people resonate in a way energetically. And they, as I was listening to you, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I've been, I've been thinking about this for a long time, but without having any concept of how it's going to feel for me or how it could have actually really felt for you, which is really beautiful too. Thank you for asking us. So I'm curious about the writing experience. You are a writer yourself and then you support other people with their books. Um, I imagine that so many people have had this thought of, I'm going to write at least something short, if if not a novel. So what would you say would be a good starting point for anybody who ever thought I'm going to write a book? Such a great question. Um, I have two. One is begin with the end in mind. So what is it that you want your book to do? In other words, is it a novel that you want to, you know, create a, a, a novelist stream of income? Um, or is it to support your area of expertise in your business? And if it's to support the area of expertise in your business, who is it going to be written for and how will it serve them? That's the first question to ask. And then you can get clear on what to actually write. And oftentimes people overthink it. So let me, uh, a novel is a whole nother thing, but if you're writing a book for your business, What I have seen and witnessed time and time again is the first thing is just actually writing. How you help people, who you help, how you show up. What were your stories woven in there that brought you to the place of doing what you do? Because that's a guide for other people and they can see themselves in your words. But just actually write it. Don't worry about it being good. Don't worry about if somebody else has said something similar. Don't worry about any of that. Just physically write. Schedule time every day. I say Monday to Friday or whatever suits your schedule. But build the habit of writing, even if it's 15 minutes a day. Stop in the middle of your sentence because then the next day you just pick up where you left off. Do not edit while you're writing because then you're stopping the flow and the energetic of what's coming to and through you, as opposed to, you know, doing the the logical side of your brain, which shuts down creativity so quickly. And don't be afraid to be terrible because everybody's first draft is just that. One of my professors once said, just romp all over the page. Do not worry about your tenses. Do not worry about your point of view. Do not worry about any of that. Just get it on the page because you can edit anything, but you cannot edit a blank page. What about your own writing process? Um, how did you come to writing your first book? And uh, what what was the birthing process for you like? <laughs> so I've written nonfiction books and they've been published, but my first book is a novel. It is not yet published. And um, during that break from when I was working till I started my business, I just started writing. I took a couple of classes just to tap back into the writing process. And in that time period, I got uh, a notice that Stanford University was putting together a creative writing program and to submit. And so I talked to a couple of my friends who were, we were kind of in a little writing circle together. And I'm like, I kind of want to do this. The whole process was a two-year program. And at the end, you had a completed novel. And you worked with a published author that helped with the developmental aspects of the novel. I thought, this is kind of cool. So I threw my hat into the ring. And I think 
some astronomical number of people applied. It was well over 300 people. And the cohorts were 35. So the only thing I had written was what I submitted, which was like the first 10 pages. That was it. And I thought, I'm never going to get picked. Never going to get picked. And I was selected. And I still... I was the only one in my cohort that didn't have a first draft written. So literally I'm writing my first draft while I'm learning and, and kind of double dipping because you had to have, in order to graduate, you had to have a completed novel. And so that novel is going to be published this year. Finally, um, it's gone through so many iterations and I love this book so much but I needed space between and all, you know, life and running a business. So my, my regular writing process is I write in the morning. Um, I work through right now I'm working through my edits and uh, I have a goal. I, I give that first hour of the morning for me because what I was, I've learned is that I don't deserve the leftovers at the end of the day, but my work deserves me at my best and I've met my best first thing in the morning. So I write and edit my own work first thing and uh, then everybody else's books come after. Yeah. And that works for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about, so firstly, I really want to celebrate you because that's such a powerful dismantling of internalized patriarchy when you say I come first and then I can nurture everything else from uh, having nourished myself so that's <laughs> I'm so happy <laughs> that, that, that you got to this this point and you are modeling that for other people and then the second aspect is that I think that different people work in different ways so for you the morning is the most creative most powerful the juiciest moment to to write to be creative whereas other people are more like night owls and it's more during the night they can have that space and also the silence somehow within so i can see it in myself that at night i be my mind becomes more silent than throughout the day mm. and i can i can see my thoughts and i can follow them um more like easier and then I can, yeah, I can. Yeah, I love that you've that. given yourself that permission. One of the books that I love, and I can't remember the author, but it's called From Where You Dream. And his technique is basically put into your mind, like the inputs into a computer before you go to sleep. And you dream whatever you're dreaming, even consciously, self-conscious, it doesn't matter, and then get up and get right to writing. And then it just flows through you what you sort of put in, what are the things. And I found maybe you've, you have had this experience where you're struggling to kind of, you're wrestling with a problem. And the more you think about it, the harder it is to resolve. So I, use, I always say I have a back burner in my brain. I kind of move it to the back burner get a shower or go for a walk. And then suddenly it's like, oh, that's the answer. <laughs> and it's the same with writing. Sometimes they're like, how am I going to resolve this for my characters? Oh, I'm not. I'm going to let it come to me instead of pushing. Mm -hmm. So it's fun. That must be so powerful that you get to write other people your character's life story and to witness that but also play god to their stories is such a beautiful <laughs> dynamic <laughs> yeah and they they really do take up space in your heart and your mind and it's like they become real i mean if you're if, i think that that many people who who write novels feel that way but but the same can be true of thick of nonfiction, right because if you're writing about your story, you become more real and you get to see with clarity and, and it increases your confidence. It's like, I did that. Like, yeah, I did. Or I lived through that and look at me. I've lived through hard things and I can live through hard things again. Mm. And you can share your wisdom and be a light to other people. Yeah. And the more you get proof, the more you can trust yourself, 
Because at the beginning, I think when we when we are stepping on this journey of creating more trust inherently and living from a space of faith, it's difficult because we do not have the proof that it actually works. And then as we work, kind of we, yeah, yeah, the opposite it of is faith, the purpose. Right? Yeah, <laughs> sure, but in a, in a way where you don't need how to say proof that the process is this is the process, right? That faith is the way. It's interesting because there's a a, a reverend, and I, I'm not again, I'm not a religious person, but this 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 really spoke to me. And you can substitute the word God for whatever word works for you. And he said, God doesn't call the qualified; he qualifies the called. And when I heard that, I'm like, I don't have to hustle and fill in all the blanks. I just have to make a commitment to show up and do my very best as what with what I know today, and the rest will come to me. I don't have to chase it. I don't have to push for it. I have to trust and lead in faith. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 a powerful reframe. Yeah. Yes. One hundred percent. I'm wondering how you are helping people on their healing journey. If you're interweaving the publishing with some coaching or healing or holding space for them. Yeah. So we actually, when people come to work with us and we agree, we want to publish their book, there's a two prong process. The one prong is classes where we teach, we put together small groups of authors who are going through the publishing process at the same time. And I say publishing, but it's it's really the editing, the publishing, launching, and beyond. So it's a four-step of the five-step part of the process. So they're kind of learning about their author business because it truly is a business and, and all the pieces that go into it. It's very collaborative, like cover design and what choices do you have for the layout of your book and things like that. And parallel path is we're doing the editing. And so we're helping them dig in and look at the manuscript and say, okay, this is what you submitted. Here's where it is. Let's look at it developmentally. What do we want to add from a story perspective? What do we what do we want to take away? I always I, I often talk about personal versus private. Like you can share personal information, but there are certain things that are private that you don't necessarily want to have out in a book. And they're two very different energies. And what is in the service of your reader? Like, what's the intention? And we go through that developmental process, and that's a one-on-one process with either me or one of our editors. And it's a very close relationship because you you trust each other. The author trusts that the editors are, are guiding them to create the best possible version of their book while accentuating their voice, not eliminating it by really polishing what they have already. And I give an example of one of our authors wrote a a hundred page book. It was a thought leader book, hundred pages. Chapter three was 50 pages. Half the book was one chapter. And I read this and I thought I, I had this really tough conversation with her. And I said, your book is actually chapter three. Mm-hmm. The rest could be another book, but this is your book. And you and it was a very hard time in her life. I mean, she lost a husband, very young children, very unexpected death. But the gifts that she learned and how she grew into who she was that day were absolutely inspirational. In order to expand that 50 pages to an actual book, she had to relive some really tough times. Mm -hmm. But by reliving that, it reinforced for her that she, A, can live through hard things, that she could reflect on, oh my gosh, in this shorter period of time, I've, I left a corporate position. I've raised three great kids. I started my own company and now it's growing and I'm doing these other, like the, the absolute awe that she learned to have for herself through that process and deep respect and deep gratitude 
for the, the gifts that she was given through that horrible experience were transformational. And so that's really our job as editors and, and as people who guide people to tell their story and, and, and coach. I, I, I coached a woman again, who has a coach, she has a, a, a therapy business where she really deals with people who have gone through trauma and we've all gone through trauma at some level. But during the reading of her manuscript, again, tough conversation, I said, this is really great. But the thing that really strikes me about your book is you are one generation away from survivor of the Holocaust. Your father was in a concentration camp and he came to America and restarted a life. And the trauma that you experienced growing up could never possibly compare to the trauma that he experienced. And that's your story. How do you recognize what you've experienced, not as a mirror to what your father has experienced, because they're not comparable. Your experience is just as traumatic one generation away. And it shifted everything for her. I mean, she's she's coaching more openly. She's talking about it. And I was so grateful to work on that book because her father was still alive at the time. And he got to witness that she became a best-selling author of this book. Her book is in the the um, Mauthausen um, Holocaust Memorial Museum. It's in the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum. It's in the Israeli Holocaust Memorial Museum. The book is powerful. And he got to live to see th their story get told in such a powerful way. So sometimes the manuscript that come isn't the manuscript that gets published. I would have imagined, I would have imagined that maybe 99.99% not the same answer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's not the same. But again, I there's a way to see what's being said and also what's not being said. And that's the not with what's not being said, that's typically the really hard stuff. And that's the that's the hard things that we get to relive and go back through to release them and be healed, really truly healed through the sharing of it and releasing the shame. You touched on that earlier, right? And the stories that we tell ourselves and what people might judge us, we're judging ourselves. And people will judge and we will continue judging ourselves and that's okay i think it's just a part of the process and it's more and what are you gonna do about it is it gonna Absolutely. become your story and is are you gonna pressel yourself because people are gonna judge and have opinions or you're still gonna stick to your story and it's really powerful because i think i think that we never really think about the fact that our ancestors so my ancestors i i, I feel very connected to my maternal lineage and women in in the community would come together in a circle and they would tell stories as a way to heal and transmit transmute together but also as a way to invoke and ask for divine support they would sing so i remember my grandmother which is one generation i mean like it's, it's not that far away where they would uh during autumn during fall they would uh pick the grapes and the whole group of their friends in the village would come together and they would do the wine they would make the wine together and they would sing and they would tell stories and i think that writing books or writing in general plays that role of sharing parts of your soul and being witnessed on a larger scale that is so powerful i thank you for sharing that that i could i could totally visualize that and i love the bearing witness, right? Bearing mm -hmm. witness to each other and seeing each other in a way that means that we can support and encourage each other, especially as women, right? Mm. Yeah. And in a way, I think it's also validating that it was real, that it hurt, that it was beautiful, that it meant something, that it was worth it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Nothing is in vain. And if we can learn from the things that have gone before or the things that we've experienced, we can light a way for other women. Mm. 
Yeah. <laughs> what is your biggest dream at this moment in your life? Uh, my biggest dream at this moment in my life, and I'm doing it, is to publish my novel and then to publish my next novel and to no longer hide that part of myself. Um, I'm, I'm great at publishing nonfiction and I love helping other people, but giving myself permission to do the same for me is my, one of my biggest dreams right now. Mm, yeah, celebrating you and honoring that process. Thank you. <laughs> What do you find most rewarding in your, I wouldn't say it profession because it's more like gift giving to the world. <laughs> <laughs> There are two moments that really rise up for me in the working with other with other authors. And the first is I love when we have a cover and someone sees that their book cover for the first time and it's exactly right. And I, I this happened yesterday. I got a text saying, I cannot believe This cover is exactly what I had in my mind and in my heart. That is such a beautiful and such a powerful moment. And I, I literally get weepy. Mm -hmm. And the second is I always um, tell people, when you get your books in the mail, make sure you have someone there videotaping you opening those books because you can't be in the moment and recognize the significance of it. And every single one that I have seen open, they've burst into tears seeing all the efforts of their hard work. And I'm crying right along with them because to be able to have been a small part of that experience to share and bring their wisdom, man, that is just, that's good stuff. Yeah, it's cathartic. <laughs> <laughs> ah, thank you so much, Deborah. This was really beautiful. I'm wondering where could people find you online? Thank you so much. Um, the best place to find me is at Highlander Press, uh, HighlanderPressBooks.com. And uh, then everything else links from there. You can find my website as a writer and editor. You can find um, all the resources that we have for anyone who wants to uh, write or publish a book. Mm, yes. So everybody should check that out. I'm pretty sure that all the people who would like to write <laughs> a book will find this very insightful. And thank you everybody for tuning in. Have a lovely time of the day. <laughs>